Before we get started, there's something I'm really excited to share with you. It's no secret that we think diversifying your income is incredibly important. One way that we do it is by investing in rental properties. We've done a ton of research, interviewed experts, and invested over $100,000 of our own money in income-producing rental properties. I am proud to announce that we're launching Rental Properties for Passive Investors. It's a course on exactly how you can passively invest in rental properties. Like our podcast, it's incredibly actionable and details exactly how we've both purchased and managed our rental properties. It also includes a year of investable, the analysis tool we use to make sure the rental properties we purchase are actually profitable. Finding the deal is half the battle. You need to know your numbers to make a profitable investment. We're running a pre-sale for $100 off. Head over to listenmoneymatters.com slash REI to learn more. That's listenmoneymatters.com slash REI for $100 off rental properties for passive investors. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Listen Money Matters. You can pay now and play later, or you can play now and pay later, but either way, yeah, gotta pay. My name is Matt, and I'm here as always with Andrew. Andrew, how are you, and what are you drinking? Dude, good. Good. And uh, I'm just drinking a beer that you brought. It's the Trendler Alt. Ah, the Alt beer from Tired Hands. Mm. Nice. I don't know what Alt means, but it's yeah, it's, it's like a, kind of like an amber ale-ish, hmm. I think. I don't know. I should know that, but I don't. Um, what about you, dude? <laughs> uh, yesterday was New Year's Day, and... Mm. I am still recovering from New Year's Eve, so I'm drinking water. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, went a little hard on New Year's Eve. Well, I'm I'm a little jealous. And, yeah. uh, cheers to that. Cheers. <laughs> uh, so today's catchphrase comes from Adam from Louisville, Kentucky. Thank you, Adam. And uh, all right, let's let's uh, let's talk about this. This title's a. Uh, <clears throat> Scary. Salacious. Yeah, something. So uh, apparently, Ray Dalio uh, published an essay called The World Has Gone Mad and the System is Broken. Mm-hmm. He has been for some time writing these essays. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I chose this one specifically because it kind of like grazes across a lot of his essays. And I think it's very like succinct in what he thinks the problems are. But he thinks things are, uh, they don't like things in finance and the global economy don't make sense right now. Who is he? Like, what is he, and why do we? He, he's like, the I, founder and CEO of the world's largest hedge fund, uh, Bridgewater Capital. Okay. Um, and to kind of just give it a long and short, he has made an enormous amount of money doing investing things. But he's a brilliant financial mind. He is responsible, for example, for uh, the McDonald's chicken nugget. What? Um, not not in that he's like, hey, we should fry some chicken and sell it to people, but to deliver a chicken nugget. For like a dollar for six at scale with the you know whatever and and the financial engineering of chicken futures and so he so, created that pink goo shit that we see online. Well, I don't know about that. I think all that's right. that's horse is what you're talking. Okay, about. all right, all right, horse. Yes, but and, but he's done other things like the McDonald's chicken nugget thing. But basically, he is uh, just really really good at money and the economy. Sounds like a Warren Buffett type. Yes, but a little bit more vocal. Right. And okay. I would say where Warren is 
is like this value investing fundamentals. Ray is like more of an active macroeconomic. Got it. Okay. Understood. So what what is this what what do you what does he mean by the world has gone mad and the system is broken? Because you read so this. I didn't read this. Yeah. So so um I read it a few times. Uh, and he I should have read it. <laughs> he uh no, it's it's good because then then you'll ask the good questions. All right, hopefully. He uh his writing is thick. I believe there's what is he, like he's bold, bolded text. <laughs> he, he like one sentence will have like 18 meanings and like things okay. in it. So you kind of have to like keep going over it. Or maybe I'm just my reading level is yeah, not that yeah, high. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's probably more likely the case. Yeah, you're at a fifth but, um, grade reading level. He's been obsessed with this like paradigm shift that's happening. And uh, so this is kind of along those lines. And he has uh, four key things that he believes that are happening or not believes that are happening and what why he thinks are happening mm-hmm. that are causing this paradigm shift in a global economy. Um, and so we're going to like talk about those. And then at the end, the things that he alludes to um, or, or like literally directly says that you should be doing. Um, oh, so he does offer to, to solutions. Potentially mitigate. He He's very soft on that. He's he's uh, cautious like anyone should be in predicting the future. Of course. But, but he gives kind of... Um, Thoughts as to why he, okay. he makes these decisions. Got it. So what's the first thing? Okay. So so just jumping in. Yeah. Um, the first problem is that uh, money is free. You know, it used to, money used to cost money. You know, you want to um, borrow money. Mm-hmm. There, There's interest that you have to pay. So mm-hmm. there's an, a cost associated with that. And these days, by and large, uh, money is uh, almost free, right. free, or actually profitable to to borrow. So, um, mm. you mean and, like? And, so it's not free because I mean, when what what is an example of me getting literally free money? Well, well let me read this quote. Okay, okay. and then as we go on, you you could say like, "Hey, stop reading this quote." Okay, but uh, right. th- this is a quote from Ray: "Money is free for those who are credit worthy." Because the investors giving it to them are willing to get back less than they give. More specifically, investors lending to those who are creditworthy will accept very low or negative interest rates and won't require having their principal paid back for the foreseeable future. Why? So, well, we'll get into why, but uh, there's this uh, Fed rate. In the U.S., and this is the rate that banks lend mm-hmm. each other money in the U.S., mm-hmm. and that rate is 1.55% okay. as of recording, and it has been sliding down just consistently if you follow any, any of the news. Um, and the U.S. is actually of the highest. If you look to countries like Sweden or Switzerland, this rate is negative, meaning that if you borrow money, you actually get paid to borrow money. And um, Japan is zero. Europe and Britain. I think Europe is zero now. Britain is very close to zero. Mm-hmm. And so if you were to borrow money at a 0% interest rate, there is like not virtually no risk. There is no risk. Right. Right. Well, there's no there's no fee. Right. Yeah. And so if the if there was negative, it's actually advantageous. Right. Yeah. Why wouldn't? Why would you ever earn? You just keep borrowing because you're because you are earning. Exactly. Oh. Well, that sounds stupid. That sounds Wait, what would be the reason for that? Do we even know? So uh, the the reason um, is to stimulate okay. 
um, the economies, right? Right, or not like the economy, like the U.S., but all, all countries are kind of yeah, doing right, this. Right. And I think what happened is the U.S. was doing it, and then everyone kind of had to do it to compete, right? Um, I've I have another quote. Um, yeah, I, I have another quote. I think this one is pretty good. Okay, so, um, or maybe maybe there's two long ones, but as a result of this dynamic, the prices of financial assets have gone way up. And the future expected returns have gone way down, while economic growth and inflation remain sluggish. Mm. Those big price rises and the resulting low expected returns are not just true for bonds. They're equally true for equities, equities, private equity, and venture capital. As a result, the expected returns are left to investors' imaginations. Because investors have so much money to invest, mm -hmm. and to paraphrase, because they're borrowing all this money, mm -hmm. um, and because of past success, so, uh, success stories of stocks of revolutionary tech companies mm -hmm. doing so well, more companies than at any time since the dot-com bubble don't have to make profits or even have clear paths to making profits to sell their stocks because they can instead, instead sell their dreams to those investors who are flushed with money and borrowing power. And an example would be Uber, mm -hmm. who like literally burns over a billion dollars a quarter, mm -hmm. has no path to profitability, literally in their IPO filing said they may never be profitable, yet billions of dollars have been invested in them. Um, and it's a result of just so much money sloshing around in the system. Now, as, people, well, as an investor of Uber, you know, if you're, if you're a big... Um, say a venture capital firm and you're investing in something like Uber where it's been pretty obvious that it's you no, know, it's, it plans to never be profitable. Are you as an investor making money from that? What I, what I believe these people are doing. I mean, so, so no, they are not making money, but the idea is like they invested in Uber knowing that it's not profitable because eventually if we get to self-driving cars and Uber dominates self-driving cars and all the costs are driven down and yada, 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 all these things that need to happen, then Uber will own all of transportation and be worth an enormous right. amount of money and like you will, everything will be Uber. It's a long-term thing. Right. And it's a, it's a really great story and it may happen, mm -hmm. but like, damn, are there a lot of hurdles to jump? And a lot of imagination. Yeah, it's a world changing thing. Yeah. To get there. Mm -hmm. Right. And Uber's not the only one, you know, Lyft, similar idea, Beyond Meat, Pinterest, Slack. I mean, insert name of tech company that has IPO'd. Uh, and they're like, they're not profitable. You know, yeah. how stupid was Google to go public when they were profitable? Right. Right. That was like old school. Mm -hmm. So what's, uh, yeah, I, I guess the idea there is really long term thinking is like, it's a, it's a game changing industry move and, and the payout, you know, while you won't get paid out in the short term, you will get mm. heavily paid out in the long term, possibly, right. but it's a huge gamble. Right. And so this kind of speaks to what we had talked about earlier yeah. in the season on how things are very expensive right now mm -hmm. because there's a lot of money in the system. And so to kind of like simplify this, investors are in many cases being paid to borrow because of negative or you know zero interest rates. Right. And as a result, they are then investing that money, pushing up prices because they have more money. And so they're chasing a return, mm -hmm. which is making things more expensive. And because uh, as things get more expensive and there's like less options, they're investing based on dreams and not fundamentals like profitability. 
So kind of seems a bit whatever. Sounds like a bubble. Yeah, could be. Could be. <laughs> um, well, all right, because because here's the thing. While that information is interesting, I don't know how useful it is to me as a person in the world, right? I'm not a, I don't own a venture capital firm. I don't uh, borrow, or at least I don't live in a country where I get paid to borrow money, nor like what I need to borrow money for any reason besides a mortgage right now, right? So we're not, and that's not really what we're talking about, is it? So, uh, so we're not talking about mortgages specifically. Yeah, but when, you, when you say borrow money, what do you like? What are we borrowing for, and why? Right. So, um, it, it really doesn't affect. Uh, it doesn't apply to us. We are affected because of these things that are happening. But Matt, me, and you, we can't borrow at one point five five percent. Right. That is not accessible to us. Right. And so, you know. Wow, man, I wish I could buy it. <laughs> right, interest right. Rate. Exactly. Do you know how many rental properties I would have? Yeah, right. But the thing is, these forces at play are affecting us. Okay. And, and so, could affect us in the future. Right. Yeah. And so uh, there's there's three other reasons, and then we'll get into like what kind of moves you can make or, or think about as a result. Okay, so do you want to take a break, get into those other three, because I think those three are not as big as this one. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah, and I need to take a sip of my beer. And, all know. right, so we'll take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the other parts of the of the article or the essay that Ray Dalio has written, plus some practical advice, I guess, for people like you and me. Mm. All right, let's do it. We're, we'll be right back. All right, we're back. Um, all right, what are the other pieces of this essay that you that we need to mention? That okay. you think are important, I guess. So, well, I mean, he kind of outlines it. I'm okay. just uh, the messenger, the distiller. Okay. Uh, the the second point is government deficits. Well, we know, and, uh, yeah. I mean, we know it's big, uh, but the so there's the um, national debt, which is the amount of money we owe. That's the, and then there's the big the ass clock in New York, right? Exactly. And then there's the deficit, which is how much we overspend every budget year. Mm-hmm. So for the first time in a very, very long time, our budget uh, has a deficit of $1 trillion, meaning that we are, we're obviously spending more than a trillion dollars, but we are overspending by a trillion dollars. Cool. Um, you know, like, I think it's just five commas. Right. And um, interestingly, as a result, or as you would imagine, like, as you are just overspending, the amount of money you need to service these debts becomes increasingly large, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, in 2019, year just gone by, the U.S. had to pay $393 billion just to float that balance. Mm -hmm. And by 2021, it'll be $549 billion, over half a trillion dollars, um, just to keep the train rolling. Okay. And we're not doing anything to solve this. Doesn't, doesn't look no, like it. and you know th this this could be to our dysfunctional politics to to never solve it, right? Um, but but it's interesting in how it happens because it's not just the U.S. It's m many okay. of the major economies: Europe, Japan. Um, and so I want to read a quote from okay. Ray. Where will the money come from to buy these bonds and fund these deficits? Mm. It will almost certainly come from central banks, which will buy the debt that is produced with freshly printed money. 
This whole dynamic in which sound finance is thrown out the window will continue and probably accelerate. And so what happens now? Uh, the fund the debts, we essentially just print more dollars, right. which you know, is inflation to a degree. Um, I mean, it sounds like money is meaningless. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like the, the what we consider a dollar bill, there's no backing. It's backed by no. it's backed kind of like it's in the in the way that cryptocurrency is backed. There's no literal gold mine, you know, that if you think of so like uh, they, they call like the US dollar the world's reserve currency, right? Okay. When times are bad, people flee to the dollar, they buy US treasuries. Yeah. Um and what is kind of happening is the US is cashing in on that. Yeah. Great. And so, you know, um, nothing bad is happening now. And I, and I don't think that Ray is a doomsayer per se. I mm. think he's just trying to shine a light on what's happening and maybe things will change. But the idea is that this is what's happening. Um, obviously not sustainable. Okay. These deficits, the money has to come from somewhere. And if you keep printing money, it eventually uh, won't be worth the paper it's printed on. Right. Because we're a long it, ways it, off. Right. But- and maybe the only thing holding us back is how fast we can print and, and, right. and bigger trees. printers. And, yeah. <laughs> bigger printers or it's probably not even that it's not even printing it anymore. It's, you know, cause it's not literal dollar bills mm-hmm. like paper dollar bills. It's just a, it's just a Digital. binary. Yeah. It's a binary code in a system. And it's like, if that, but they may have to print more bills, which is why just to kind of fast forward, I think we should all be investing in Xerox. Yeah. Because right, that, yeah, that is where the money <laughs> is. Printing technology. Yeah, printing technology. Yeah. Uh, what else uh, should we? What else do we need to cover here? All right, to number three. Okay. Um, pension and healthcare liabilities, and so kind of not a thing for a lot of people that are working now, but our parents mm-hmm. certainly a lot of them have pensions. Um, whether they work for the government, you know, because they're a teacher, mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. whatever, um, or even just private pensions. Um, and then like uh, healthcare that would. That was kind of guaranteed, like Medicare or whatever, through old age. Right. And, right. You know, but people are living longer. Yep. And returns in the stock market aren't as great um, as they used to be. Yep. They these pensions were kind of built under the assumption. Well, I know. I know a lot of people lost half their pensions in two thousand eight. Like all that money yeah. that was built up, gone. I was just talking to a friend back in in Jersey, and like my dad's friend, who, yeah, he was a I, he was a trucker and. Had a pension and in 2008, 50% of it that was there is gone. And so now he gets to retire at half of what he thought he would be retiring at. Which is not fair, but also it was it was under false pretenses. It was something that was like sold as a thing that was never real. Right. Because 7% is not the normal now. And mm-hmm. so um, what has happened is that these pensions are underfunded. So they have obligations to pay people out. And they just do not have the money to pay them out. And uh, these liabilities, you know, these pension payments and stuff are starting to become over uh, overdue. Mm. You know, and like my parents, your parents, they're part of the boomer generation. Yep. Um, my parents aren't retired yet. I don't believe yours are. Nope. Um, my parents don't have pensions, so it's kind of a moot Same. thing. Yeah. But uh, a lot of boomers may have to deal with this yeah and then what does that mean for us <laughs> like is there going to be any money left well uh 
there's there's three ways that this could be resolved. Okay. And, and so this is a, a really quick quote from Ray. Okay. There will likely be an ugly battle to determine how much of the gap will be bridged by one, cutting benefits, yep. two, raising taxes, and three, printing money. This will exacerbate the wealth gap. And while none of these three paths are good, Printing money is the easiest path mm-hmm. because it's the most hidden way of creating a wealth transfer. How will this exacerbate the wealth gap? So uh, if you can imagine this political battle that, that will go on in the future, mm-hmm. there will be the haves yep. who will say, stop giving away all of these benefits, cut you know, cut them. Yeah. We can't afford them. Right. And then there'll be all of the, have I don't want to say have, have nots, but the people who are relying on this. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, hey, you promised this to us. You have to pay us uh, rich people or just people in general. You need to pay more in taxes. Right. Well, that you, yeah. So, but raising taxes probably isn't going to happen, you know, just to one class of people. It's probably going to happen across the board. Right. But we've already had a huge tax cut and it really only affected the, you know, the upper class people. Mm. Right, still mm-hmm. a tax cut, but yeah, it I, needs to go in the opposite direction. I we don't we need more revenue. We need more revenue, right? To, to me, this seems like I mean, uh, this is basic business, right? This the government is a business, just giant, right? Yes, and it offers services that are like Google. Like Google has free services, you know, like mm-hmm. you can use Google Docs for completely free. And if you they can show up at the DMV at any day that you want, yep. and, and if they took yeah. away Google Docs. I'd be like, oh, I got you're making me pay for Word now. Like, <laughs> yeah. no thanks. Um, I think, you know, yeah, cutting benefits is like, yeah, you 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 probably could cut some. There's definitely benefits out there that could be cut, right? Mm-hmm. It's but you know, that's the argument is like, I, and I think right now it's you know Republicans like you know they don't want the government to be doing really anything. Everyone should be should be self sufficient, and the economy should kind of like dictate itself, right? And so mm-hmm. if you know, the government shouldn't be responsible for providing these free services. Businesses should be, you know, providing these free services. And they will if there is a benefit to them providing these free services. And so, um, and then, the you know, raising taxes is essentially, you know, the same as in, in a business like increasing revenue. You know, raising your prices uh, and, you know, maybe... Uh, investing a little bit more in marketing and and trying to acquire more customers like that is that's that's the, essentially the same thing and then printing money is basically uh it's almost more like of they're, the same well there it's almost like that isn't even the game you know what i mean it's it's like a cheat it's like a cheat code so it's like if you're running a business and i had my choice between you know cutting expenses raising raising revenue or just getting more money that's like mm. i'll just do that part like the yeah. other two are much harder. Interestingly, I don't even know if that was the, possible. Well, it it's a way of uh, screwing savers, right? So if you had debt and then you printed, say there was like only a hundred dollars in existence, yes, right, and you had those hundred dollars in debt, mm-hmm. so you you owed like the whole world's money, mm-hmm. and then a hundred more dollars were printed, like technically the value of each dollar of your debt was halved, yeah. Right. And so when we print money, um, what we're doing is instead of taxing you, Matt, the guy who saved money because he worked really hard and didn't buy, you know, this, that and the other thing, Mm -hmm. we're just kind of 
silently taken out of your account. Right. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's, a, you know, like, I, th- I think, too, there's just people who, like me and you, who save money and, like, you know, decided to, um, you know, we're obviously privileged and we took it upon ourselves to, like, you know, get better with money and, and be more responsible and uh, organized and all those things. And there's people who, like, you know, there's people who don't do that. They don't take that action for whatever reason or can't take that action. And I think the idea of cutting benefits to those people is a tough sell. I mean, because some people need it and we should offer it to them or somebody should offer it to them. And, you know, people who who are responsible, like that's the problem with this whole thing is like the people who, you know, are quote unquote responsible with money feel unfairly treated because there are because there are people who don't choose that. And I'm not saying all people. There's some people who don't choose that path. and we and then they think well they're getting all the benefits because they're you know they're getting these free things that you know we won't get because we have money and we made the responsible choice quote unquote and it's like you know well, how the fuck i mean that's an it feels like an unsolvable problem you know we're not a political podcast and i don't even want to wade into that area but what i have found is that um you can like reduce taxes mm-hmm. and that would be like a popular thing but increasing taxes is insanely hard and so like you kind of like are losing ground, right? Like you're never going to really tax the middle class at a higher rate. You're going to squeeze them, yeah. whatever. Um, and I think that uh, what is happening, and maybe not in this election, maybe it's the next X elections, uh, a lot of thought should be put towards like which camp you personally sit in. Like if you are one who is taxed at an insane rate because you're super wealthy um, and you just don't want to have your taxes raised to pay for these benefits, then you should really be with the political camp that's against it. But if you foresee that you or your parents may be needing these benefits, it would behoove you to side with the team that's going in that direction because these are like slow moving things mm-hmm. uh, and it's going to it's gonna happen slowly then all at once. You know, it, it kind of it makes me think a little bit about like the, you know, the app world. And how you like say you have a Netflix account, right? And you pay for the Netflix account. It's you know say it's I don't know what it is anymore. Ten dollars a month, right? And God, how out of touch uh, are you? I know, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I share an account with my dad, so he so like t- ten dollars a month is your account, right? And mm-hmm. so like uh, fine, that's great. Uh, and then you have if you buy it for the whole year, which means you have to have extra capital, you save money. Right. So you buy for the whole year. So for the people who have more money, we're giving them a discount versus the people who are like, no, I just want it. I I can only afford $10 a month. And then, and maybe Netflix is a bad example, but then there's like the free trial, right? It's like, or there's like, you know, the free version, the freemium version of the app. So it's like, you can have this thing for free. You're just not going to get all the same benefits that the people who pay. Mm. Right. And I kind of feel like, Truth be told, the people who pay fund, fund the free the fr- trial. Right, exactly. So it happens in business all the time. Mm. And that's essentially what we're doing. And just on a global scale or on a, a go, go, you know, national scale, I guess, here. Just, I don't know. And maybe Netflix was literally the worst example I could think of, but it was like, because they don't have a free version of their software. Uh, but there are, 
there are yeah companies that have free versions and then they have the paid version and then they have the you know buy it for a year and you save money so it really like benefits the rich people they get the biggest they get the biggest savings oh for sure you know what i mean and it's an excellent segue to point number four okay oh which is yeah i read it (laughs) (laughs) technological advances yeah yeah and we we have talked about this Mm -hmm. and you know we can deny that it is a thing for only so much longer but but it's it's a thing yeah um back in the day uh there was a massive demand for human capital we needed people to do like literally the most menial things yeah work yeah, work. And, you know, work that didn't even necessarily require a brain. It just required, like, I don't know, picking a thing up, moving it, putting it down, yes. whatever. But as technology has evolved and has continued to evolve, like, we need these people less and less. Yeah, automation. Now, yeah, when I go to CVS, I always choose a self-checkout yeah, line. Not only because I don't want to talk to anyone, but it's infinitely faster. It's yeah. so much faster. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how me doing all of it versus me with the help of someone else, you know, is faster. But, but it is. Right. And that's just like one example of, yes, you know, yeah. self-driving cars being the elephant in the room. I think like about uh, a, a large, I think it's the single biggest employer of people in the U.S. is driving, driving. related things. Trucking, mm-hmm. taxi, you know, like Uber, mm-hmm. delivery. Um, It's coming. I don't. Yeah, I don't I would be I would be shocked if we saw it in our life in our next 10 years. You'd be shocked if we saw a, a completely autonomous driving in the next 10 years. So I think it was like a year ago. Um, we did an episode on uh, like the future of work. Mm-hmm. Something something like that. I forgot the title and the consensus among uh, CEOs of car manufacturers was that uh, 2025 will be the inflection point where there'll be more self-driving cars on the road than not self-driving cars. So not completely by 2025. And it will be, and it is happening already. Um, I think there's a self, like an autonomous shuttle in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that there's a lot of stuff happening in Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah. But that's kind of the agreement is 2025. And, you know, big cities like New York, it'll come first. I'll tell you what. I over the over the holiday break, I was back in New Jersey and I got to drive a Tesla Model Three. Ooh, so jealous! Uh, I'll be honest, like it it was cool, but I have no, I know so much about the car that like nothing shocked me, and like it, seeing it in person didn't make it any like cooler because I already knew all the things. Mm. But I did the you know autonomous driving, like I sat in the car and like you know on the highway on, or... on the highway. I mean, it doesn't stop at red lights. Doesn't stop at stop signs. It shows you the stop sign. It doesn't. It doesn't stop there. There's some cool parts. It's nowhere near ready for prime time. Mm. Just nowhere. So, like even. But the amount of uh, success it has to have for yes. highway driving to allow you, right. Matt Givenisi, some guy who's just like, hey, let me check this out, to be safe enough because mm-hmm. one accident is going to blow it up for everybody. Yep. Yep. And as soon, and if there are other people on the road driving, those are those people are probably more likely to cause the accident than the you know the automated driving. But I mean, they're not going to blame the driver. So I think that 
again, I, I would be shocked in, if in 10 years we had it. I, I'd be I think shocked. the progress, I'd be shocked if we had uh, 100% electric cars in 10 years. That's not going to happen. No, no, no. It won't, it won't happen just because there's so many out there. But uh, people, and just like the stock market or, or productivity or anything, people think like linearly mm-hmm. in terms of whatever. But most of these things happen exponentially. And when it comes to self-driving cars, every Tesla is like a mini hive mind collecting all of the data as you drive the car and sending it back to Tesla so they can improve right, their time. algorithms. So the more fleet, more of the fleet that's out there, like the faster they'll, you know. Yeah, I mean that's just and that's just one specific technology that could be that could be very impactful to the work. You know, it's just like a very obvious one. Yeah, right. It's an easy one to to recognize. Mm. Um, all right, so yeah, we have all those. All right, so this is the the, the doomsday or the or I should say like, and I hate doomsday things. That is not no, but know. but but this is the title of the of the podcast plus the title of his essay, which is the world has gone mad and the system is broken. We have we have covered that right. Mm-hmm. He believes yes. it. We see it. Here are the reasons why he believes those things. Now, now, now what exactly? Yeah. And uh, so we've we've actually talked about these things on the show mm-hmm. before. Um, I don't know exactly in this context, um, but uh, one uh, one of the most popular episodes. So so how do we prepare for the, uh, prepare for this? Right. Yeah. Uh, one of the most popular episodes on the show lately is the golden butterfly episode we do. Yep. And we talk about the all-weather portfolio, which is Ray Dalio's like quote-unquote perfect portfolio. And then the golden butterfly, which is very, very similar, like kind of incrementally different. Yeah, it's like four quadrants as opposed to five quadrants. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that uh, shows up in these portfolios that I thought was really interesting and had never really thought about before um, is gold. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Gold is one of these things. It's like the U.S. dollar is the, the world's reserve currency, but really, gold is the world's reserve currency. Right. And we could go on and on about like the uses for gold, uh, and it almost doesn't matter because people do what people do, and in t- when times are bad, people put their money in gold. Mm-hmm. That's just what people do. Yeah. Uh, it's a store of value, and you can't create more gold. You could pull it out of the ground, but it's limited. Yeah. There's only there's only so much oil in the ground. Yeah, it's a symbol of safety, and if enough people believe it, then that's all that matters. That's yeah. kind of what assigns value to the dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have this great quote from Ray, uh, and this is like an old quote that's kind of like all over the place. Um, uh, he's he's quoted as saying, "If you don't own gold, you know neither history nor economics." And so the idea is that um, it's not like, "Oh my God, the world's going to end. Let me buy." ton of gold he suggests investing between five and ten percent of your portfolio in gold and it's just like a smart hedge and diversification move do you think i have any gold in betterment no okay so wait no okay so 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 (laughs) if i'm if i if my only investment is is in a robo advisor chances are it's probably not five or ten percent gold and to, to add, yeah, so I, it's it's really not. Okay. Um, and to put another quote of his in there, uh, we have a situation now where when you have too much debt, too much debt leads to printing of money to make it easier to service, which we talked about earlier. So all of those things means that some portion of an investment portfolio should be in gold. And the kind of like deducing of the reasons from the prior episode is 
as you print more money, the money becomes worth less. Right. And so the way that you kind of hedge against that is to put your money in something that that can't be devalued like that. Right. And well, it can be if, why, if it can be if the world decides we don't value gold anymore. Right. But, you know, out of what however many billion people on the earth, unlikely you're going to sway that many minds. I think to, I think you should be investing in water. <laughs> I, I actually also agree. And I've been slightly obsessed. There may be an episode on that coming okay. up. Okay. Um, you know, but like this is kind of where the whole crypto thing was born out of. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe in it personally. Me I don't either. think that will be what people think it will be. But, you know, if that's something like th- that's where the logic kind of ties. The technology, certainly. The blockchain yes. technology, certainly. Very cool. And a lot of like applications that don't necessarily need to be paying for a Big Mac. Right. Exactly. Um, what else can we do? So got it. gold. I should. All right. Here's a here's a question for you. I don't invest in gold right now. Matt Givenisi does not invest in gold. Okay. How should I invest in gold? You could just use um, the Golden Butterfly portfolio mm-hmm. or the uh, uh, All Weather portfolio. Like, no, no, no. If literally, you, how do I do it? How do you do it? So there are ETFs where you can do it, and essentially, they have like vaults with actual gold bullions. Mm-hmm valued at x and then you, the etf is just a fractional share of that but and i so can't think do, but i can't do that through betterment you cannot so how would i do it so uh if you go to our article on uh, the all-weather portfolio or, or you know whatever the golden butterfly um i kind of break it down i show it and there is a link uh like you could click on the picture there's also a link you could click it and it'll show you a portfolio with all the proper porf, uh, proportions mm-hmm. and you could just literally just do that and it's and it's free through it's, what I, I i you could you could do it through any uh, the my link is through m1 finance okay. because they allow you to put pies with proportions but fidelity schwab whatever i outlined the robin hood could do it robin hood you could do it through robin hood uh, the ticker symbols are there, so you could just be like, "Hey, I love Robinhood. Let me just go to the article, grab the ticker symbols, and I'll just DIY it myself." Yeah, not difficult at all. Right. Um. So you could. So you I know? could. So like, uh, you know, like Betterman could be like, you know, a qua- like one or two quadrants of my pie, and then another quadrant of gold. I could just have it separate over at uh, something like Robinhood or whatever, and then like Robinhood becomes my my gold quadrant where I do that part. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay, cool. Yes. Cool. I like that. Yeah. So so if you wanted to just kind of use, say, Robinhood to add gold to your portfolio, you could take the sum total of your assets and then calculate 5%, 10% and just use Robinhood for gold, right. Robinhood being a free investing thing. Do you think that I should take what I have now in my investments and pull out 5 or 10% and move it into gold or start from zero now? So I I believe, or, or the way that I am treating my investments and, and kind of going forward is that every dollar that I invested, I invested because I believed it made sense at that time uh-huh. based on all the information that was available to me. And so that's like literally, locked. in my mind, locked in stone cool. for eternity. All right, I, like right? I yes. plan to never use it. Cool. But going forward, I may change my opinion or I may feel things are cheaper. And so then I will go in that direction and perhaps heavier in some cases to offset if i feel that's necessary right. and plus it i don't think it's a good idea to necessarily take large lump sums of money out of your investments to move it because what if you move it that large lump sum and then that one quadrant takes a, a nosedive 
and you lost that then, money. Then you'd be placing a bet. You're right. saying like it is literally better than what you had right. versus kind of having a more holistic approach. And and you're not taking advantage of dollar cost averaging at that point either. Exactly. Right. And, and then not to mention the tax implications right. of just moving it. Exactly. Because if you have $1,000 and half of that is growth and you move it, you're not getting $1,000 in gold. You're See, getting much less. That's really good advice. The, the advice of like, if you want to start the all-weather portfolio or the golden butterfly portfolio, start from zero today. Not mm-hmm. not try to reorganize all the shit that you've already been doing. I'm glad you brought that up. Ex- exactly. Okay. Like when Laura and I started, and I think we started about a year ago, mm-hmm. we started at zero dollars. Yeah. I think we were putting in a few thousand a month and it just, over time, that that accumulates. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like the, you could do the same thing with uh, rental properties. If you listen to any of our episodes and you're like, you know what? Andrew's talking about rental properties. I really want to get into that. Don't take that money out of your already invested like money to move it over into a rental property. Start today saving up money for your rental property while you continue to do your other investments. Yeah, and it's it's harder that way. It's harder that which way. Which is a net good thing yes. for you and long-term thinking. Okay, what else can we do besides so, gold? Number 1 is gold. Yes. Number 2, uh unsurprisingly, is cash. And that's like money that sits in an interest-bearing account or in treasury bills and, you know, kind of contrary to the whole printing of money devaluing your dollars. Hopefully the interest uh, from you know uh, a savings account or treasury bill belays some of that. But the main the main goal is what we've also talked about in an earlier episode, which is building an opportunity fund. Mm-hmm. So having cash that is ready to deploy when there are deals. Yeah, and you know we could sit here on the mic and and we will and we do uh-huh. postulate what these things might be. Yes, but we'll never know, never right? Know. And you'll never know. No one will ever know. But when it happens and you can see with your own eyes, well, seeing is believing. Yes. And if you have money available, you can then buy cheap assets as a result of fear. Right. And so one thing that I thought was fascinating as I was like kind of researching other people who are, you know, hoarding cash, mm-hmm. I actually didn't have to look that far because Warren Buffett um, is hoarding cash more than he has ever, ever. Um, and so currently, his com- his holding company Berkshire Hathaway over 60% of its value is now cash roughly 122 billion dollars isn't apple so he, doing shit like that too they are okay. but you know their their company deploying cash for different reasons yeah. you know they literally can't deploy it fast enough um warren only buys deals he is a value investor. Mm-hmm. And it just shows that he does not see any deals. And the nature of his businesses, they're generating profits. And he would usually take those profits and continue to invest them. Oh, that's interesting. But he's not. So if you if a, if a holding company like that is, is just hoarding cash, then they don't see deals out there in the market right now. That's- it's not just a holding company. It's like the... the found, like creator, the, the, the spokesperson for value investing. Right. More than half of his assets are essentially in cash right now. And I'm not saying that you should do that. I mean, we don't have access to deals like he does. Sure. But it well, should give you pause. Well, hold on a second. I think we do. It's like if, you know, uh, you know, obviously I'm still kind of talking and postulating about buying a house at some point in my life. And it's like, you know, there the, wouldn't you also, I mean, it's, it's not technically an investment if you live in it, right? But mm-hmm. don't you still want a deal? Because it does oh, pay off sure. in the future, right? I mean, if, if you sell it, I mean, it's still worth something, and it does go towards your net worth. So, I should if be. If your saving. neighbor bought it for a hundred thousand, 
why are you going to pay 150000 Yeah. Then your neighbor just knows you're an idiot. Right. And it's just like, oh, I want convenience. It's like, yeah, but you know, you should be looking for a deal. And I'm, mm. and it's hard for me to think about, but it's something I need to do. And yeah, sometimes that just means being patient. Being patient. Yeah. Being patient, keeping your eyes peeled. Mm. What else can we do? So the, the one final thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, we, we said gold, cash, those are obvious. Uh, the final one um, is dividend-bearing stocks. And so these are companies that, pay that are earning money, and they are giving you a share of their profits, mm. but not just any dividend company. Again, another episode that we've done. I believe we did it together, Matt. Okay. Um, the, the dividend aristocrats or similar, which are companies that have an extremely strong history of not only paying dividends, but increasing the, over the time, uh, yeah. payout of dividends over time. And so specifically dividend aristocrat companies have consistently increased their dividend payouts for 25 years, 25 consecutive years, okay. which is damn hard, mm-hmm. a stalwart style business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, and then you're getting a share of the profits. So do you know of any companies off the top of your head? Doesn't have to be a bunch, but that are considered dividend aristocrat companies. Um, I think Coca-Cola okay. is one of them. Yeah. Um, there's there's like the dividend aristocrats, and there's another similar style index on the Nasdaq. And I was looking into that, mm. and Microsoft is on that list. And okay, you know, it's not obviously 25 consecutive years of dividend payout growth, but the idea being like really strong, solid, fundamental companies that are. That are that, profiting that and that, paying at, and paying back. Right. Yeah. That's their primary way of returning value to shareholders. Right. And um, besides, like the S and P five hundred, I'm I'm sure they're in that, right? Because mm-hmm. that's kind of like what that is. So that, the dividend aristocrats are only in the S and P five hundred. Okay. That's kind of like. And then is definition. there like could could I invest in just a bunch of? Is there like a fund of just aristocrats? Yes. Okay. And so um, it's noble. You know, mm. um, but it's <laughs> without N O B L is a ticker, okay. and that's the dividend aristocrats. As you know, whatever. Um, there is another one that I believe is better, not quite the aristocrats, but the fees cheaper. It's from Vanguard. It's on the Nasdaq, so it has companies like Microsoft that I want to be a part of, um, and the fee is uh, a, a fraction of the noble and the ticker is just VIG. Do you think I'm investing in any of those through Betterment? Some well, de- of well, definitely the de- well, definitely like the S and P 500, but am I getting VIG? Am I getting noble? You're getting some of the companies like it, it would, I would be highly doubtful that through Betterment, you didn't own some of Microsoft. It, it is a, such a large company in the U.S. economy. You own some of them. It's a safe bet, too. Uh, well, right, but well, I mean, yeah. I, I think, yeah, I mean, whether whatever with Microsoft, the, if you're buying the U.S. economy, you're buying Microsoft. Right. They're like a trillion-dollar company. Right, right. Um, All right, so gold? Perhaps not enough. So yeah. so the recap, put some money in gold starting today, if you, if you, mm. if you haven't already done it, and allocate around 5 to 10% of your total investing capital into gold. Right, so we're not flipping out, we're not going all on gold. Yep. We're just putting a measured amount yeah, into little, our portfolio. Little, yeah, a little bit. A little bit at a time. Um mm-hmm. and 
saving some money, building an op- building up a kick-ass opportunity fund, which I have been doing through Betterment. Betterment has their new Betterment Everyday Cash Reserve mm-hmm. Savings Account, and and you get interest. You get, uh, um, I think it's at one today it was at one point eight, I think percent interest, which is decent, you know. And I've just right been, about inflation, so it's like at, in stasis mode. Yep, which is perfect. Yep, and I'm just throwing. I'm just any extra cash that's coming in, I'm throwing at it because, you know, that's kind of my house down payment fund at some point in time, you know, mm-hmm. uh, whether I'm ready or not. Um, so once I'm ready and I am feel like, oh, I have enough cash and I'm going to start actively looking and I'm going to start actively looking for a deal and I'm going to hire a real estate agent to help me find that deal because I have no interest in doing that shopping myself. Uh, and plus, I don't have that knowledge and I don't care to have that knowledge. Uh, I will find somebody who does. And the third thing is investing in companies, the dividend aristocrats who pay out dividends and have Mm -hmm. been consistently paying out dividends for at least 25 years on the up and up. Which is about as strong as it gets of something that you could bet on. Yes. Right. That they will continue to pay dividends. Right. And uh, two of the, the funds that incorporate these dividend aristocrats are NOBL from... They're just a, you know, it's just a standard ticker. And then from Vanguard, VIG is the fund there. Both are ETFs. Yeah. Both are ETFs. One, the Vanguard one, has lower fees, but way lower. But we're Van- 0.06. Yeah. Yeah. Versus 0.035%. No, 0.35. 0.35. Right. Instead of, wow. So, so, so six, one sixth of the fees. Yeah. So that's, uh, I mean, it's Vanguard though, you know, mm. low fees. That's their thing, they're, right? They're good like that. They're yeah. good like that. Uh, anything else you want to say before we wrap things up? Hey, that's all. Just wanted to kind of convey the information, uh, do with it as you will. Um, I don't think the world is ending, um, but it may have gone mad. (laughs) Okay. There you go. And if you, if you missed anything, we'll have everything in the show notes. You can check your preferred podcast app, or you can visit listenmoneymatters.com slash show. And as always new year, please subscribe where you normally listen to podcasts. It's, you know, it's January as we're recording this. So now's the time to start thinking about personal finance and, you know, just, I don't know, organizing your your finances, trying to get a little bit better, even incrementally better. And uh, you can do that by listening to this podcast and telling your friends to also listen to this podcast and point them to your favorite episodes. Specifically, we mentioned uh, a few in this in this episode, but I highly recommend the Golden Butterfly episode. Uh, this episode's also, we talked a lot about that as well. And, uh, if you point them to your favorite episodes, hopefully they'll become a subscriber as well. And if you have any questions that you'd like us to talk about on this show or answer on the show or topics you want want us to discuss on this show as it pertains to personal finance and money, please email us at listenmoneymatters at gmail.com, listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. And all the tools and resources we normally mention on the show are available over at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. That's it. Mm. Later, Andrew. Later, man. Please tell your friends about this show.